When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh, frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball, and if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here, and now let's start the show. Hello, heaters. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat, presented as always by Manscaped. Thanks as always for joining us. We appreciate each and every one of you. I'm Amanda, and I am joined tonight by my Operos co-host, Nick. Ryan is unable to join us, so it'll just be the two of us on this episode. Please make sure you find the show on Twitter at Half Street High Heat for all the latest stuff from the show and lots of other fun interactive things to do as well there. And don't forget to check out the website, halfstreethighheat.com which has tons of great articles getting you wrapped up for the Brave series and ready for the Phillies series. How's it going? Oh, like the uh, the Nats currently, I am missing the one thing to uh, put myself over the top. And in this case, uh, it is my big right-handed power pad, and that's Ryan. So, mm. like the Nats. Say, are you uh, missing many things to put you uh, over the top? Because then you'd be like the Nats. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, but like the Nats, I'm just going to try to ignore it, pretend it's not there and uh, do my best without it, even though it's plain as day that things aren't We'll be same. missing Ryan, but we'll pretend we're putting a championship team on the field anyway. Exactly. I have marching <laughs> orders to put a championship podcast in your ears. So I'm going to try to do just that. <laughs> what have you been up to since we last spoke? Uh, it's the last week of uh, baseball. So I had uh, a... Um, magical uh one inning experience tonight before it got called due to rain and it uh rained for a glorious 20 minutes but the the dsa decided to call it and we easily could have played but my pitcher had a three pitch inning was which was pretty cool 
Well, well, that's for, pretty cool for us, not for the other team. The other coach was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I yeah. like it a lot. And that rain was fast and furious. It didn't last very long. Yeah. Yeah. But well, so we still. went strawberry picking this morning, which was my big exciting thing. We took the kids to one of those you pick farms mm-hmm. and got, so I mean, like so many more strawberries than we could possibly consume. So I made two strawberry pies, which are currently chilling in my refrigerator and I'm going to stuff my face with when I'm finished with recording this with you it sounds very good yeah i'm quite jealous i do like strawberries do we ever rank fruits Didn't i know we, we had, do a fruit ranking i you know, know i don't know if we yeah i feel like we did yeah because but, you are an insane person who doesn't like cantaloupe or something right isn't that i don't mind cantaloupe who was it was it ryan somebody hated I th- cantaloupe I don't, I don't, it must have been ryan because i i truly don't mind cantaloupe i think honeydews overrated Oh, I can't actually stand honeydew. I just like I have no use for it. If it's in one of those fruit bowls, I will literally leave it untouched. Like it has I have no use for it. Exactly. Cantaloupe is delightful. Actually, I'm not a watermelon person. Like I don't like watermelon. My wife's allergic to watermelon, so we don't get it all that often. Oh, well yeah, I could see that. I didn't know you could be allergic to watermelon. Neither did I, but lo and behold, she finds a way to make (laughs) things difficult. Hashtag That's what wives you. are for. It's our superpower. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and talk about some baseball. So let's start with the quick pitch, which is about Mr. Steven Strasburg um, on the IL again. So our quick pitch tonight is, will he live up to his contract? Uh, man. Five and a half years to go. Yeah, this this is, I think it, the answer is pretty obvious. Um, but I, I will say I, I do love Strauss, and I don't think they made it. Hindsight's twenty twenty is basically what I'm trying to say, and I don't think it was the wrong decision to re-sign him. You could argue they should have gone harder after Rendon, but, you know, plain and simple, he didn't want to be here. Right. There's but, no amount of hard they could have gone at Rendon and gotten him to stay. Yeah, so. Strauss met with other teams and still re-signed with the Nats, so he clearly wanted to be here. Did they overpay? Yes. They they grabbed vastly and i was gonna i try to combine grossly and vastly there so grassly overpaid mm, i like um it. for straws yeah something like that um because at the time it was a record breaking contract for a starting pitcher for about a day until garrett cole signed but uh-huh. it was still you know a record breaking contract but Strauss is their guy he was just coming off a healthy season a phenomenal you know record-breaking postseason obviously you want that guy and as we know the Nats are very much built on pitching could they have done it without or like gone in a different direction maybe but that's a very tough call to make you know at that time it's like you're already everybody would have crushed them if they had let him walk and me included I know I would have I would have been like how do you let him go right but you were really between a rock and a hard place because if you he just won the World Series for you, he was the MVP, he had a great season, you let him walk away and, and everybody hates you, but now you sign him and you could say, well, they should have signed him to fewer years. Yeah, but you couldn't have because somebody yeah. else would have given him more years. So you really had to, your choice was sign overpay and sign him to a, a long contract or let him go. And everybody would have killed you for letting him go. And in the in hindsight, it looks like from a baseball perspective, would it have been better to let him go? Maybe because we're only, he has not, he has not pitched. I think it was, I think I was listening to Grant and Danny show the other day and Grant pointed out that he has not made three consecutive starts 
or this last one where he got injured again was the only time he's made a third consecutive start since he signed that contract. Think of yeah. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, obviously it's a little bit different because you had just 60 games last year. And, I mean, he was hurt but last still, year. But still, three starts, you know, like he hasn't made three starts for you in a row since I get he it, signed but, that. It's been a I year mean, and a half. But, again, it's not like you. it's two full seasons. So, yeah, I know. But No, I, I, I understand the point. And, you know, I, I can say he's not going to live up to the contract. You just hope it turns into kind of like um, – what really what we expected out of Max this year? It's like if he just does like a three and a half ERA, it's like okay, it's not the worst thing in the world as long as he's not like a, a detriment to the team, which unfortunately he currently is because you have all this money tied up in him and he's not even making starts. As long as he's not a detriment going forward, he can make starts, and if he's not his, his usual self, it's not the end of the world as long as he can provide something. But right now, it's worst-case scenario, and he's providing nothing. Yeah, and, you know, the ripple effect of his being out of the, of the lineup is huge as well. It's not just about what can he provide. It's about what happens. Although, remember, we just talked to Mark Zuckerman about it seems like something always happens to kick the can down the road on which of the six starters gets out of the rotation. Well, here it gets kicked down the road. can't can't gets kicked down the road again. Right. So, I mean, it's not a good thing, but it at least keeps the Nats from having to make, I guess, a tough decision or something. It gives Betty and Ross more time to settle in before inevitably one of them gets kicked out. But, you know, who knows? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think the consensus is he probably won't live up to this contract, but nope, said hopefully he won't be actively a hindrance. And most of the time, guys don't live up to these kinds of contracts. No. So you almost accept, we've talked many times about how you almost accept that the later years of a long deal are going to be something of an albatross to the team, but you hope it's not like in the first two years of the huge deal. I mean, you could argue Anthony Rendon's now living up to his contract. Either. Oh my God, he's not. He's hurt and all the time. Nobody could have, he's hurt all the time. And what is, is he batting like 213 or something? Yeah, but I mean that you can, he's, he's literally on the, I think he's been on the IL three times this year already. Yeah. So that's it's like insane. just the back and forth and not getting in the groove. Like I'm not concerned about the stats. It's more about the availability with him. So it's like, yeah, even if you sign Rendon, you're, you might be having the same conversation about Rendon. Yeah. If you had him instead of Strasburg. It's a very good point. And the fact, as we mentioned that Rendon wouldn't have signed here because he wouldn't want to be here. Yep. Alrighty. Let's move on to Ryan's week in review in Ryan's absence. So next week in review. Yeah. Definitely not going to be anywhere nearly as good as Ryan, but, you know, I am definitely going to try. Really, the only noteworthy thing coming out of the non-games being played from the MLB is that both sides of the CBA negotiations are at a standstill. Shocker. And the players don't trust the owners or Rob Manfred. Again, shocker. So for my week in review, I just decided to take you around the league and give you a quick update what's going on. Starting in the AL, the Rays currently hold a two-game lead over the Red Sox. They have a plus 67 run differential, and I only say that because run differential is a, a great tool to determine how real or fake, so contender or pretender, these teams are. So I'll come back to that later. In the AL Central, the White Sox hold a two-and-a-half game lead over the Indians. They have a plus 79 run differential, whereas the Indians have a minus six. 
the AL West, the Oakland A's only up a game on the Astros. They have a plus one differential, whereas the Astros have a plus 58 to the NL West, the San Francisco Giants. And this is where I wanted to make my point. They still somehow, some way have a game lead over the Dodgers, game and a half, or excuse me, game over the Padres, game and a half over the Dodgers. The Giants are sneaking. It's about time we probably need to start talking about them. They have a plus 62 run differential. So some way they are getting it done. And as we'll, we'll talk about later with the Nats, that second wild card spot that some people are eyeing is not going to be there if, if this keeps up. But again, don't want to get too ahead of myself. NL Central, the Cubs hold a game and a half lead over the Cardinals. They have a plus 38 run differential to the Cubs or excuse me, to the Cardinals, minus 10. As Ryan said a couple episodes ago, the Cubs are not selling. They're in first place in their division. Their division is winnable because no one's going to run away with it. No one's ran away with the Central in several years. So the Cubs are not selling. So any hope for Chris Bryant to D.C. is probably dead, unfortunately. To the NL East, in fifth place are still the Washington Nationals. They split with the Braves, which is probably a win in itself, but didn't really change much as far as the division goes. Fourth place, the Marlins, still six games back of the Mets. They have a plus-five run differential, which is one of the more shocking things I had seen. Third place, the Phillies, 26-29. and 29. They have a minus-19 run dif- differential. We will see them this weekend. Atlanta's 26-28. and 28. Again, after splitting with the Nats, they're four games back in the Mets, minus-three run differential. And the Mets are somehow, somewhat, still in first place, 27-21, four games up on the Braves, plus-six run differential with that great pitching staff but that is it for your weekend review i'm not as good as ryan i admit it but go try chilies and yeah. ryan's ryan's normal uh closing segment eat it chilies that's our that's our advice ryan does it much more eloquently but yep <laughs> go get a margarita saying run differential like so many times like became a tongue twister i should just uh-huh. thought that you know you say the same word over and over again yeah. and then it doesn't make any sense or sound yeah. like anything anymore yeah i feel like i have like peanut butter at the top of my mouth or something <laughs> all right so let's move on to our nets bet segment we're going to do our the good the bad and the ugly fortunately this is some good to talk about this time wasn't much for last last episode but um the first thing i want to talk about is soto who is can we say he's back uh I, I'm going to hold on that. I I don't want to say he's back all the way, but it was definitely a, an encouraging series. All it took was to call him overrated, which was apparently very, very, you know, triggering for him. Excuse me, in a good way. Uh, he had a phenomenal series, a couple home runs in, in the Brave face. He mocked uh, Acuna's home run trot, which was pretty funny. The I thing do, with, God, I love him. The thing with Soto... And I'm going to get a little off track here, but I, I think it'll make for a good conversation. And I wish Ryan was here. I almost said R.I.P. to Ryan. Um, But Soto seems to get up for these big games. Obviously, he had a great postseason. And anytime he plays the Braves, he gets up for it. And it just reminds me. He plays me, against Acuna, I think. It, it just reminds me how we had the discussion about Josh Bell and how, he, you know, and similar to like what Christian Yelich said about his time with the Marlins, how it's tough to get motivated for games because they were just never in it. And we thought Josh Bell coming from the uncompetitive Pirates to the Nats was going to change him. And lo and behold, the Nats aren't very competitive so far this year. 
But Soto seems to get up for these games, and I wonder if like the pressure that we've kind of talked about for Trey and Soto to, to carry the load has gotten to him a little bit. He's been injured, so maybe he was just trying to do too much, but I mean, maybe we're getting a little off track. Definitely a good sign. I just, I can't help but wonder. It feels like Inception. A seed is planted in my head now, and I cannot stop thinking about it. When he's a free agent, I can't help but wonder if he's just going to want, you know, the bright likes big city because Juan Soto has a big personality and he needs a big market for that. Yeah, maybe. Although I got to tell you, it's so far off in the future at this point. I know, I, I know. I'm just saying it's, it. it's, it's in my head and I can't stop thinking about it. Well, I'm going to choose to enjoy Juan Soto right now and not worry about where he's going to go later. But I do think there's some encouraging signs. Obviously, the home runs are big, but just he's elevating the ball more. We've talked a lot about how he's been hitting so many hitting, hitting it on the ground so much more than usual. So I haven't seen the numbers. Um, I haven't looked them up yet, but maybe we will for the next show. Maybe um, his, his his average against off speed, which I know had been uncharacteristically low for him lately. So um, I'm you know I'm encouraged. He's got some momentum going into the next series against the Phillies. Hopefully he's kind of returning to himself. I was never truly that worried about him. He didn't forget how to hit a baseball. You know, obviously I, he kept saying he was completely healthy and maybe he wasn't in pain. So in that sense was healthy, but he never had had his timing back really since he came off the IL. So mm-hmm. he's starting to look like himself again. And I think that swagger that, you know, the big personality you talked about when you start seeing that again is where I feel like he's, he's right. And he seems like maybe he's he's getting right. I mean, you can certainly hope so. And he usually hits the Phillies pretty well. They get a uh, Zach Wheeler tomorrow, so that'll be a good test to you know see if he's really back or if it's kind of just you know he, he kills the Braves, similar to how Trey Turner kills the Braves. Yeah. So it's it's Wheeler and Scherzer tomorrow should be a really good matchup. Yep. And we'll talk about that a little later when we talk about the we preview the Phillies series. Um, yep. Okay, so another thing in the good section here is a bit of an offensive explosion in game two. Scored 11 runs. That was encouraging to see as well. I mean, yes, but when you only score one run today, <laughs> it's just like... Learn how and, to spread it around, guys. But they had three runs yesterday. It's like... And what they have in game one, I feel like that was a lifetime ago. I know. I don't yawning? even remember. I'd have to look it up. Are you yawning during the show? Sorry. Yeah, a little bit. Sorry. It's just a boring. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, so they lost 5-3 the first game, 11-6, and then – oh, they won 5-3. Excuse me. I, I was thinking game one was game three. Like, yeah, obviously you're, you're happy with the output, but it's just so inconsistent and so random. Like that. I'd rather see at least some offense, even if it's inconsistent. Oh, yeah. Don't of get me course, wrong. But, I'm happy it happened, but like... But they scored 3, 11, 5, and 1. So, obviously, 1 was not good, but you are seeing a little bit of offense the last, this this series more than we had the couple of series before. So. But, again, you take out that one game, which I, I get you can't, but, like, it's still not very, you know, promising. 3, 5, and 1 is still not a, a great showing if you took right, that one game Right, that's what I'm out, trying to but, say. Yeah. You're still at, if you average three five and run three five and one, you still get three runs a game, which is what we've been complaining about <laughs> for the yes. for the majority of the season. Still not great. Yep. Still not great. Okay. Uh, next thing in the good, the starting pitching hasn't been awful. <laughs> it's been pretty good, except Strauss. But again, we'll talk about Strauss a little later in the ugly section. 
Yeah, Joe Ross kind of had, uh, you know, it wasn't a terrible start, but it wasn't a phenomenal start. The Braves have a good lineup. So, you know, it, he went five innings, gave up four, walked three, struck out seven. So, again, not a terrible start by him. And out of your five starter, you'll take that. That That's a, a fine outing. I mean, it was really the offense that let him down there. Uh, Strasburg had his injury. I mean, can't really blame like the numbers if he if he was injured. Both, however, came in and pitched really well. Uh, especially, you know, not being prepared and not having a, a proper warm up. You pitched three innings, got the win in game two. Offense supported him, so you know, very rare sight. Um, and then Corbin today. Wait, who pitched yesterday? Oh, Lester. Lester. Sorry, skip Lester. Mm-hmm. Lester had a great start as well. Five and two thirds, one run. And then Corbin today was cruising and then kind of just had one bad inning where it all kind of fell apart. But again, I, I, you know, even though we lost five to one, I'm still pretty encouraged by Corbin's start. He, the, the final box score doesn't really tell the whole story because he was, he was cruising through five and then he got to the last inning and just, you know, it was hit after wheels, hit. Wheels then, came off a little. Right. And then the home run and whatever. And I saw people saying, why is Corbin still in it? in there after you know the the two singles or he gave up two runs before the homer to uh danzy swanson and it was like it's a tough call at that point because you're trying to save your bullpen heading into you know the weekend series with the phillies with no days off corbin's only at 70 pitches at that point so it's like i get it i think it makes sense to have left him in i would have been if they had taken him out i'd been like why in the world would you do that and your bullpen put pitch extra innings at the same time again with the benefit of hide and sight it, it didn't really matter because we only scored one run today anyways Right. So at, at that point, you know, when, you know, you're questioning whether to pull Corbin or not, he had already given up two. Davey left him in there, which I actually thought was the right call, or at least I agreed with that call. He gave up two more. It is what it is. We only scored one. So in the end, it didn't hurt us too much. Um, but yeah, all in all, you know, the, the starting pitching is pretty good. Hopefully it can continue to build on so, some promising, you know, addings. I hope Corbin especially can get back to how he was because again he was cruising so hopefully he can turn this around and <laughs> live up to the contract a little bit more than he has been his era currently sits at a 628 so hopefully that uh yeah i think if you even take out the first two starts he's still at i read this somewhere i wrote it down so when we talked about this let me find my note. 414 ERA. If you take out the first two starts, he's still at a 414. So, I mean, obviously those first two were the worst of the season, but mm-hmm. he's still not. It's it's trending in the right direction, which is the good thing, but he's definitely you know, not not the ace that you expected you were signing. No, and I don't think he lives up to that contract either. Because no. again, a little bit off topic, but he he wasn't what we signed signed him to be in the in the postseason. He was quite frankly a liability, or excuse me, in the twenty nineteen postseason. He was kind of a liability. We just kind of got lucky and hit lightning in a bottle with Sanchez pitching so well that he became our three starter, and then Corbin really got rele- relegated to this game four starter in a seven game series slash bullpen guy. And yeah, he pitched three scoreless innings in Game Seven. You, you, as far as I'm concerned, you you earn your contract right there. No, seriously, that's what I was about to say. Like, if that's but, all, if that's the only good thing we get out of him, I'll take it. Right. Yeah. So it's fine. But again, like, all in all, we didn't sign him to be a reliever. So it's like, 
you know, it, it is what it is, but uh, he hasn't yeah. been, if we're talking about he not hasn't. living up to contracts, that that's yeah. the one I'm really concerned. About. I pulled some other numbers on him. Yeah, I don't think he's one of the topics in this category, but since we're off topic already, um, he's right now in the, just his last seven starts, the slash line against him is 297, 346, 497. So not great. Nope, not great. <laughs> not great. So anyway, I, I do hope that he can, you know, continue in the right direction and at least be a solid three starter. You know, you don't need him to be an ace. He's not your ace, but it would sure be nice with the amount of money he's getting paid if he can be somebody you can, you know, a reliable third starter at least. Yep. Let's talk about Espino a little bit. What are your thoughts on him? Uh, I mean, with Will Harris going down, he has an opportunity. Um, they recalled McGowan, I think, with Strasburg mm-hmm. going down. So it yeah, seems like McGowan's the the flex guy. So if well, Will Harris is out for the seasons, but like if, if uh, Strasburg comes back, it seems like McGowan's going to be the guy to go back down. So it's, point being, Espino kind of has a role here because um, I, I don't think we have any other pitchers who are coming back from the aisle, right? Is Fetty back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, doesn't he? I don't know if he's officially back. They took him off the IL earlier this week. So, but point being, McGowan seems to be the first guy to go should someone come back. So Espino has a role here. He, you know, struck out two today in his lone inning, two one two ERA. I mean, you can't argue with the results. And if you can use him for a spot start here and there or stretch him out as a long reliever, which he, he has done this before the season, great. I mean, that, that's not a bad thing to have in your bullpen. Definitely not. Okay, he's not back yet. Um, he made an in, he made a rehab start today. But even McGowan hasn't been bad. I mean, No, he, he hasn't. I, I do feel like the, of an inning today, but. I feel like the bullpen, as you mentioned in the last episode, we haven't really talked about it a lot because it hasn't been a bone of contention. They haven't been a, a sore spot like they've been in past years. So, you know, there's some good stuff going on there. But you're right. When Fetty does come back, I, I think McGowan will be the guy to go down. So Espino is likely here for the foreseeable future. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna, I put him in the good category. I think he's been a decent bright spot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's move on to the bad. Um, Turner has really been struggling. Um, a little less of late, but just not been really exactly what you expect. What are you thinking about what we're seeing from him right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm not too concerned. It, I was it was pretty entertaining to see everyone um, kind of freak out about Juan Soto and and his slump. And these guys are, are still susceptible to slumps, mm-hmm. so. Everybody because is. someone has a good game plan for Trey Turner, one game doesn't mean, you know, it, it's going to carry over to for an extended period of time. He had two hits yesterday. He had another two for five yesterday, one for four today. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, he had that golden sombrero game earlier in the week. And again, you know, it's it's been a small kind of slump. He's still been in a lot of the MVP conversations so far this season. But it's just one of those things where it seems like he's getting thrown a ton of off speed stuff. Well, he was three for five on Tuesday, so I don't even know why we're talking about this, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, obviously he, this series against the Braves, he looked a lot better than he had, but it just seemed like, you know, maybe he was he was starting to struggle a little bit. And again, like you said, with, with Soto and Turner really are supposed to carry this offense, and Soto's been struggling right up until this series as well. I feel like once one of them comes out, you know, like if Soto really comes out of the slump, it's going to benefit Turner 
a lot, but yeah, he just had kind of a mini slump there. It seems like maybe he's already. Uh, I, mean, out it. Was, I mean, it was one game, yeah, and then he had six six hits in the the next yeah, three this games. Series, so. Yeah, this series, this is much better. I'm not too concerned. Okay, um, outs on the base pass. This is something that we've talked about lots of times. It's extremely annoying. Yeah, this has been terrible, and. Um, there was a situation, it must have been yesterday, because it was Robles who stole a base, and then Turner singled up the middle, and then Robles scored, and I believe that was with two outs. And then the very next pitch, uh, Turner stole second. So it, it's just like, that's a great example of how base running can, you know, manufacture runs. Mm-hmm. But so can base running without stealing bases. You know, being aggressive, making smart base running, you know, all, all this stuff. I'm not you know, breaking news here or telling people anything they don't know, but it's just baffling to see the Nats consistently be one of the worst base running teams. I don't know if there's base running metrics out there. I might have to do a deep dive to to figure out just how bad the Nats are, but it just seems like every single game, there's at least one guy making uh, some sort of bonehead bonehead mistake, (laughs) or it's like, you know, Bob uh, Bob Henley sending a guy or not sending a guy. It's like somebody's always messing up, and it's just how do we keep making the same mistake over and over again without fixing it? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and it's one of those things that it, it's just so, you know, there are lots of things in the game where you're like, oh, he hit into a double play. Oh, he, you know, that one, he hit it, he hit it hard, but it was right at somebody. There's stuff that's just like, sigh, what are you going to do? But the base running stuff is just maddening. <laughs> just like, why? Why does this keep happening? Yeah, they've been uh, they've had trouble with that, and it's been for years. It's not even just this season. They've they've had issues with this for a long time. So I don't know what it is or why they can't seem to. I don't know them personally, but we've had the same base coaches for years too. Just well, saying. just saying, yeah, yeah. There is that. Okay, let's go to the ugly, which um, we've already kind of talked a lot about Strauss, but my first one was Strauss back on the IL. It's a neck strain they're calling it this time. But, um, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about this right now that we haven't already said, but it is um, very disheartening. And I just wonder, you know, last season it was, uh, oh, he has a little issue with his hand. We're going to put him on. He's day-to-day, and then, bam, this is the whole rest of the season. I, I mean, this was so weird because he there was a, a comebacker right at him, and it hit him in the palm of the glove, mm-hmm. and he still got up and fielded it. But before then, it's not like he he looked great. His, his fastball was hitting low 90s. So it's like something's clearly off with Strauss. That's not who he is or, you know, you anyone could look at the radar gun and see, oh, something's wrong with him. Why is his fastball right. reg- registering as a changeup? That's not what he's throwing. Yeah, that I, last I, fastball I think he threw was 89, and it registered as the changeup. And I was like, oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> may, maybe he strained his neck on that. I don't know. But it was just a weird situation because it just happened to be that play. They came out and checked on him, and then he came out. So it's like maybe everything just went wrong on one pitch. But, it, it, yeah, it is just disheartening because if it is an extreme, that's just another thing he's having, having to go through. First, it was the wrist, and then what did he go on the IL for before? Was it his elbow or something? Forearm shoulder. strain? Wasn't it shoulder? Shoulder. Okay, so his wrist, shoulder, and neck now. And hand last year. And Well, that's kind of what I was – Oh, yeah. so I guess so, so hand, shoulder, and neck now. So it's now all, his whole right side of the body, basically. And yeah, and I know you always say, oh, well, you know, he'll probably come off the aisle. I'll be like, but that to me is, 
extremely concerning that, you know, he's got, I don't know if it's a mechanical issue or what it is, but like, oh, he's I mean, it, it absolutely affects your mechanics as a pitcher. The, the tiniest thing, even if it's in your foot, it, it messes with your mechanics, your landing spot changes, your, how you land change it, all this stuff. Pitching is very, you know, that's why you see these great pitchers have terrible starts. It's not because they're bad. It's just pitching is so mechanical. And with these guys throwing as hard as they can, or as hard as they do and you know as many pitches as they do for as long as they do everything has to be in sync pitching has to be so in sync for it to be effective and obviously these guys are the best at it but when you have an injury you're you're you know distracted or you're dealing with something else it can mess with you which is why we haven't seen Strauss have his command even though prior to the start the velocity has been there he hasn't had his command he's been walking guys and Strauss never walks guys so clearly something has been off the entire time. And I just wonder, you know, if the Nats brought him back too soon, give him plenty of time. You got to protect that investment and try to get something out of him. You're in a rare situation this year where you have a great bullpen and you have starters while, albeit not to the level of Strauss's ceiling, have been serviceable. Joe Ross, Eric Fetty have been serviceable this year. And that's not something you could say about either of them in years prior. And plus you have still have Max Corbin and Lester. So you have a, you know, a set five without Strauss that you can depend on to give him a little bit extra time to, to, you know, recover and rest. It seems like they haven't been doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's an excellent point. And, you know, not to say again, we just talked on the 31st when we, when we recorded it and said, we're not punting on the season at this point, but to me in a season that doesn't look like it's like, they're not bound for great things this year. Most likely like you don't take chances with a guy you've invested this much money in, like just give him as much time as he needs to get right. And if that means we don't see him for a while, then, then that's okay. But yeah. I don't think they should rush him back. Again, even this one felt like they, they brought him back and he clearly wasn't ready to be back. Yeah, so I don't know if it's – I don't know how much say he has in it. I obviously, you know, he's earned his right to speak up, whereas in 2012 he was still young and obviously he's going to default to the decision of the organization at that point. That's obviously why we saw him shut down. I'm sure he didn't say, oh, shut me down. I'm perfectly fine with that as we're going into the postseason. But, right. <laughs> you know, maybe he's saying, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. When he's clearly clearly not good, that may be the case. Or the organization could be rushing him back to try to jumpstart the season to try to justify, you know, spending or being contender or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But it just at this point. I don't know. At this point, I just feel like you've got to get him right. You've got to figure out the root cause of what's going on with him because it, it seems like it's always it's always this or it's always that. I don't know if it's one underlying issue that's causing his you know him to adjust you know to alter his mechanics and that's leading to the other injuries. But like whatever this issue is, it seems like the idea that his hand last year and then his wrist and his shoulder, his his arm and his shoulder, and now his neck all on the right side are all happening independently. Idea. You know what I mean? Like the fact that these aren't related to each other seems really mm-hmm. far-fetched. I have a wild idea. All right, let's hear it. I think I'm on to something, and I I, <laughs> I feel like tweeting it right now all right. just so I can claim it. Do it. What about tell the, me about it first. <laughs> what about the idea of Strauss going to the bullpen when he comes back? What? He, it's, he wouldn't have to pitch 
for, you know, five, six innings at a time. And it's not permanent. It's not permanent. Right. But the perfect example is Michael Kopech in uh, Chicago, the White Sox. He had Tommy John surgery with, and then afterwards COVID it had been like three years since he had made his debut and, and all the rehab and all that stuff. But this year he's been lights out, but the White Sox have been very careful with him. He's made a couple spot starts where he's only gone four or five innings, but he pitches two innings here, three innings here, one inning here. And he's been dominant, absolutely dominant. And I wonder if you put Strauss back into that role, not only does it solve the having to kick someone out of the rotation role, it also allows Strauss to pitch and kind of get his feet back under him and regain some stamina and some strength from pitching without having to uh, give him such a heavy load as he would have in a start. So again, it would be temporary. And if you find yourself in a uh, you know playoff spot or in contention comes August, September, he just slides back into the rotation. But if you're not really playing for anything this season, you know, he's still able to pitch, maybe makes a couple of starts, but doesn't have to, you know, do so much. You know what? It's crazy, but I don't hate it. I, I obviously, I, the ideal situation is he's a freaking Cy Young ace on your team, but mm-hmm. clearly we're not getting that this year. Yeah, so that's, that's not what we're This way, we still get something out of him. He's still an asset to this team. He's still healthy, which is the most important part. And an innings, you know, a a limited innings role might really benefit him in a year where he's clearly physically struggling. The only problem is you have Davey Martinez as your manager who clearly does not know how to handle a bullpen. So They'd probably have him warm up every night. Yeah, and that might be. (laughs) So maybe that is all a moot point and it's a terrible idea. Well, I don't hate it anyway. It's controversial. So you should definitely tweet it. I'm going to introduce everyone. it. Watch everyone freak out. It'll be fun. Oh, um, yeah. My mentions are going to be terrible. Yeah. RIP your mentions. Okay. Yeah. We have one more thing in the ugly section here, which is the Nats have the worst average in baseball with the bases loaded. They are hitting 143 when the bases are juiced. Yeah. It's been, it's been rough. And again, this is beating a dead horse here, but the problem with not addressing the biggest need in off season, as we all have talked about. And, and as we all know, it, the right handed power bat in the middle of the lineup, because typically these bases loaded situation involve Trey and Soto being on base for them. Mm-hmm. So you're really left to bell and Schorberer, who, as we have talked about are very hit or miss pun intended. They're, <laughs> you know, high risk, high reward guys. As far as the power goes, they're not much contact guys. So that that's not a great thing to have with the bases loaded. And, you know, it's, it's interesting too, that a lot of times we talk about, oh, the offensive struggle, they can't score. They can't score. It's not always that they don't have men on base. It's not like they're not getting hits. It's just well, that they're, they're not driving they're third them in. in. They're third in the league in batting average. So it's like, they clearly have guys on base. I don't know what their their league ranks are in terms of on base percentage but yeah they clearly have traffic on the base fast they're just not clutch they're, they're not like, driving in the run so you're there's nights you say oh they left six people on they left six men on base they left 11 men on base they you know they, they're always and you always leave some people on base that's just the nature of the game but it, the number of times they have guys even in scoring position even at third base with one out and they don't they don't drive them in is maddening it just, yeah, it feels like if you look at the box score any given game, you see, you know, Bell leaves five on base, Schorber leaves four on base. Like, 
you know, whoever's batting Castro leaves for on base. It's like the, those guys in the middle of the lineup that you have right now are just not doing anything. And even someone like Ryan Zimmerman, who's been excellent in his role this year, he just, he's all, always struggled with runners on base. It seems like he always hits into a double play, which is where that joke came from. So it's like the Nats are just missing the clutch gene. And that's where someone like, Howie Kendrick and other guys who have filled that role who may not be your, your, you know, cornerstones or your, your foundation guys, but they had that clutch gene. They could get that, you know, big time hit. And that's really what this club is lacking. They, they lack that guy that can just, you know, come through that, that contact guy, which as we talked about with Matt last week or whenever that interview dropped, the Nats really could benefit from a contact guy. Obviously, a power bat would be nice, but, you know, I, I mentioned how DJ LeMahieu would have been a phenomenal fit for them. Mm-hmm. Or Brantley. I would have loved Brantley. to get Brantley. Yeah, it, it, that would have been a – Brantley over Schorber would have really oh, changed, it changed, it changed this, this team, lineup. in changed my opinion. Especially lineup. how long it took Schorber to get going. He's been fine now. He's been yeah. about what Kyle Schorber is, but it took him forever to get going, and there was some – a lot of missed opportunities early on. And those games count. Those games will come back to bite us at some point. If we go on some sort of, you know, run or turn it around somewhat in, you know, the dog days of summer, but mm-hmm. and you know, Schwarber really now is that contact guy. Yeah, for sure. And Schwarber now is like you said, he's been, he's been fine. I mean, he's hitting 238 now, I think going into today's game, I didn't look to see what it was after the game today, but you know, and that's with how awful he was earlier in the season. Right. So he's he's really fine at this point. It took him a while to get going, but, you know, he's fine for what he is. But when you don't have that contact guy and you don't have that power bat that they needed, but those are the guys they should have gone out, gone out and gotten, and they just didn't. And you really feel it. Like you said, in the, the times when the bases have traffic, it's usually your best hitters are already on base, and then you just don't have the, the personnel to drive them in. The problem with, you know, the Nats is currently constructed is, you know, barring a complete collapse in the month of June, they're going to be somewhat in striking distance come the trade deadline. So we know what's going to happen, so we which know is what's nothing. Happen. <laughs> so either nothing happens or we make those mid-tier moves. The, the ceiling of that mid-tier move would be a trade for Kyle Seager, who would be a welcome addition to this team, but he does not move the needle in the grand scheme of the NL East. You need someone who moves the needle in the grand scheme of the NL East. You need, like the Mets did, like a Francisco Lindor-level trade to help this team. You need to really bring this team up. The name I always keep coming back to, and maybe he's not on, well, Francisco Lindor has been terrible. So maybe he is on Francisco Lindor's level. But the name I always come back to, and I mentioned it before, is Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield would yeah. be such a great and welcome and perfect addition to this team. He fits the flexibility mold that the Nats like to have. He plays second base. He plays center field. can play the outfield. He's a leadoff guy. He's a huge contact guy, huge hit machine. Like, it would be so welcome. Um, I believe he's 30 and has this year and next year left on his deal. So it wouldn't be a rental, so it would fall into that Nats category of having somewhat of control. I don't know what the asking price would be. I, the Royals are kind of falling out of it now. Seems like it's the White Sox division and the Royals aren't. Yeah, I just wonder who they would trade for him if if they think maybe we're in striking distance and they want to try to stay competitive. Like, who are they going to give up like, for a guy like that? My, my thought is 
you have Strauss for five more years, whether you like it or not. You have Corbin for four more years, whether you like it or not. You, you know, Fetty and I Ross. I think they're going to resign Fetty, Max too. Fetty and Ross have team control. Yeah, you can always resign Max. You can always sign another vet to a one or two year deal like they've done with Sanchez and now Lester. So it's like your starting pitching at least at the big league level seems to be, you know, set for the most part going forward. Obviously, you can always improve and make changes and, and whatnot, but it seems to be set in they're not, it's not your position of needs. They're not going to trade Kabali. So he can be added into that mix for, you know, when the ready. future of the rotation. So that's really like six guys plus Max and any other free agents you want who are in the mix for the rotation. In theory, that makes Rutledge and Cole Henry, who are two other guys they value highly, expendable. So you could do a Cole Henry, because I think they value Rutledge, and Rutledge is ranked higher than Henry. Not that Henry's bad, but you could do a Cole Henry and maybe another prospect for what Maryfield. I feel like that would get it done because the Royals are in the market for flipping, right? They, they Whit Merrifield has a very team-friendly contract. They'll flip it to someone who wants to give them prospects, and they start that process. Obviously, that's how rebuilds work. Everyone knows that. But, again, I feel like that would be a great move, and I hope it's to that level when the trade deadline comes and if they do buy. Yeah, I think that would be a, it would be a great addition. I, I just – I have a hard time – imagining they're going to be in contention to buy at that point. But again, maybe they, maybe they have a much better June than they have, but if they're out of contention, I feel like you do, you know, I don't, I would love to see them, even if they don't make any huge trades, I would, I would still love to see them sell a little bit and get a little something back. So at least we're setting ourselves up a little better for next year. Mm -hmm. Like Hudson's about to hit free agency. Everybody's, you know, any contending team is always looking for bullpen help always. So right. you could certainly, and Hudson's been really good this year. Schwarber, what is his deal for next year? Is it a, he has is an option it, or the team is nope. it a mutual option? Nope. It's just straight one-year deal. Oh, okay. I thought he had an option, but all right. But yeah, I mean, he might be somebody you could get a little something for as a rental. You know, as obviously, the, I don't. Sorry, as long as they do something. That's yeah, I just feel like something, get a little something back. Like, you know, I love the Whitmerfield thing because you still have him next year too. So if you're going to go out and get somebody and say, hey, maybe he helps us, right? you know, maybe he helps us this year if there's any chance we could do something this year, but you also are, you know, doing something that helps you into the future. You just need to look at your, your window, your realistic window and make the moves that correspond with that window. So if the Nets genuinely feel their window is open for another, like, let's say two years or well. They always feel like their window year, is open. We'll, we'll just say realistic, realistic year and a half while you have Trey. And, you know, while you're theoretically getting a prime year of Strauss and Corbin, I think, I you know, end of 2022 season is a realistic window for them. Whit Merrifield fits that, whereas someone like Cole Henry and Jackson Rutledge will not fit that window. Yeah, they, they might turn into, you know, solid pitchers down the line, but they don't fit your window. Mm-hmm. Or, or you can, you know, go the other direction, say, you know, 2021 might not be our window 22 2022 might be but again we're not seeing ourselves as contenders in 2021 or 2022 and maybe you trade thanks thanks hudson thanks shorber thanks gomes thanks hand for all your work but we're we're trying to you know gear back up or whatever you just can't you if you're gonna go one way or another it's fine it's fine just go all the way right maybe not all the way as in trading max 
I, I think that's on the table, but, you know, trade, don't just trade, you know, Schwarber, trade all the one-year deals. And if you buy, don't just trade for, you know, some journeyman third baseman, trade for someone who's actually going to help, right? So one yeah, way or another, we, I'm we've fine. We've beaten this to so, death, but like pick a lane and get in it. Yeah. Like, do something because you can, again, that, that middle of the road mediocrity thing is, it's the worst place to be. It's it, a rebuild or go all in. If you think this is your year or next year is your year, then go crazy. Right. You know, go crazy and buy. If yep. you think you can, you can win and this is your, you know, this is your realistic shot. It's like go crazy and buy or go crazy and sell, but don't just stand pat again like you did last year. And I honestly, I, I prefer that. And I know we're, we're getting off on a tangent about the trade deadline, you know, a month and a half before the trade deadline hits. But I honestly prefer that because as long as you have Juan Soto, you're going to feel like you need to be a contender to get the most out of him while he's here. It's mm-hmm. the same reason the Angels haven't torn it down because they have Mike Trout and they're like, oh, well, we need to try to make something happen. Although as long if they as we had have torn Trout. it down three or four years ago and built around Trout, they might have done something by now. Well, that's a fair argument, but they also had money invested in the wrong places. They never invested in their pitching staff, so... You know, there, there's another argument for that. But I feel like the Nats, as long as they have Juan Soto, they're going to feel like a contender. And if that's how they're genuinely going to feel, go buy. Sell the right, farm. That's what I'm saying. Like, you go sold, and you do sold, it. You sold out on the farm to win a World Series. It worked. So why are you afraid to do it again if that's really what you want to do? Go do it. Yeah. I would, I honestly, if they just went crazy in, a, in the next month or month and a half until the trade, the trade deadline and like, you know, went all in on a run, I wouldn't, I would be, I'd love it. It's yeah. still, it's fun and exciting. And if that means some lean years because you've sold out your whole I mean, system, they love fine. you kicking, have to do a rebuild after that though. You have they, to. they love kicking things down the road. So just kick the rebuild down the road and buy some more. What's wrong with right. that? Well, and the thing is they just keep saying, you know, they, well, they clearly are treating the luxury tax threshold like a hard salary cap. Like they're not trying to go over that. And I'll never understand that because the, the penalty just isn't that significant. It's just, it, it, it the is for multiple for repeat spending. offenders, but at this point they've cleared it right. so, th- so they can start over again. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fun to spend other people's money. All right. We're completely yeah. off topic, which was supposed to be about. It was Nats related at least. <laughs> this was supposed to be about the worst average in baseball with the bases loaded. Well, we're trying to help that. Yes. By that's apparently true. selling the farm. <laughs> exactly. Somehow. Yep. Yes. All right. So um, speaking of talking about things unrelated to what we were talking about, let's move completely on and get a message from our sponsor. Well, Manscaped is always related to what you have going on because now Father's Day is coming up and the weather is catching heat. Whether you have a dad bod or rocking a six-pack like your your boy, just kidding, uh, make sure you and your dad are smelling nice and shaved where it matters most. Make your dad proud this year and get him your and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0, and you can get him and yourself the Refined Cologne by Manscaped. They're both brand new. Cologne's been out for a little bit, but maybe you haven't gotten a chance to try it out yet. They're both brand new, and they are perfect for you and the dad in your life to complete your grooming game. And Half Street High Heat has got you covered. You can go on over to manscaped.com. Use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. It's I say this every time. I haven't found a product that they have that I have not liked. I use them all almost daily. It's great. It completely you know, revitalizes and revamps your grooming game. I thought I was well-groomed before. 
I am completely, you know, next level now, thanks to Manscaped. And that can be you and your dad as well. So be sure to check out Manscaped and all the great products they have on their site and get a little discount, 20% off and free shipping using our promo code HSHH20. Absolutely. That is outstanding advice. Thank you. Okay. So let's move on a little bit. There was a new um, article in the Washington Post um, yesterday, the day before, about the FB Santangelo situation and kind of offering more details. Um, We kind of knew before that there was some back and forth, like the original accusations came out and then the Nats apparently revoked their approval of Santangelo and asked Masson to do an investigation, which they did, I guess, in like two days and then put him back on the broadcast. And then um, as soon as that had happened, there was another accusation posted this time from an anonymous account. And there's some question still, I guess, whether that was from the same accuser or if that was a different accusation. And so the Nats again contacted Masson after they, you know, we saw that where he was gone and then he came back and he was on for a couple of days. And then there was that YouTube game and he was supposed to be on and wasn't. Mm-hmm. So there was just a whole lot of back and forth. Apparently the last game he broadcast, the Nats had again revoked their approval and then Mass went ahead and had him do it anyway because they said, well, it was too late for us to try to find anybody else. So there's a lot of acrimoniousness between Masson and the the club on this. And um, since then, I guess the last time he showed up at the ballpark in this article, I don't know if you read the whole thing, Nick, but the uh, since the he actually showed, yeah, he actually showed up at Nats Park to to come in, and the the garage staff stopped him and made him leave. So that's pretty weird. Yeah, I mean. Definitely fair to say that Mashson does not have their stuff together. And in their minds, it's much easier to just have him continue on like nothing happened as opposed to finding a replacement uh, and doing a thorough investigation. Like you said, the investigation and the initial investigation was done in two days and it's just not enough time to to vet. Yeah, How could you possibly have it's investigated just, it thoroughly? It's not, it's not enough time. And, you know, I can completely admit, I, I have never been an FP, FP Santangelo fan. So, yeah, there is a little bias coming through with, you know, my, my what I'm saying and my, you know, stance on this whole thing. But, and, and I'm not saying, you know, he's automatically guilty. But from what I've heard and anyone who's had experiences with him, you know, in person, he's just not a friendly guy. It, it's very much for a show from what I, from what I understand. Never met him, never, whatever. So I, I just wasn't surprised by this when this came out. He, he just frankly gives off that vibe. And just because you give off a good vibe doesn't mean you're not capable of this or whatever. But when you have an accusation against you, it, it, you just have to do a thorough investigation. Just point blank with the you know, time we're living in and the severity of the accusation. You have to be thorough with the investigation. You're still innocent until proven guilty. So I'm not trying to say he's... You know, he's guilty, but I I agree with the Nats. It, it feels good to say. Yeah, you have they, to, you to, have, to have him off the broadcast. Right. It feels it good to say that they're, you know, they handled this the right way. They they revoked it immediately, right? They revoked his a- access. Masson had him off for a couple of days. They're like, okay, we'll let you do the investigation. Mass came back in two days and said he's good. Nats are like, well, okay. And then the second one came in, and they revoked it immediately again. So it's like the the Nats did the right thing, and it's Masson 
who, again, I don't think anyone is shocked by, you know, Masson's incompetence. After What's the everything. opposite of shocked? Yeah, after <laughs> everything we've seen from Masson over the past couple of years. So it's like, you know, it is what it is. But to, to answer the question, I, I think he's done. I think so, too. I, I, I think so, too. And actually, I do feel like there's this is a hard situation, not just with FP in this particular case, but in general. I mean, there's this is a really tough thing because when an accusation like this is leveled, it's important to, you know, a lot of women don't come forward with these accusations because their name gets dragged through mm-hmm. the mud when they do. So it's important to protect the anonymity of the of the accuser if they choose to be anonymous. But it also is, you know, in any of these situations, not just with FP, but, you know, when there's an anonymous accusation, you don't have any ability to defend yourself either. So it's a really tough situation for the Nats to be in. But I think you're right. They handled it the right way. They revoked his access while they figure it out. And if it turns out that there's nothing to this, and it's it sounds pretty credible. So I don't know what the investigation will reveal. But I always tend in these situations to say if if there's any question, you need to thoroughly investigate it. But even if it comes back that there's nothing to this, I still think he's done here. I don't think the Nats are going to go back to the well on that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it seems I, like I think, they're definitely done. And, you know, that kind of brings me to the next one I was going to make. <laughs> People, Twitter is a cesspool, as you like to say. So I'm not trying <laughs> yes, to say, you know, the, the, the things I read about the situation is the majority's viewpoint or whatever. But in case we do have any listeners that, you know, still are on the side of FP. One thing you need to understand about the, the situation, particularly from you know the, the victim's uh, standpoint, is that the anonymity it doesn't mean she's you know trying to set him up or whatever. Oh, she not. has a lot to protect, and if she files a police report, if she comes forward, I mean she she's really defenseless. And FP, while just a broadcaster, is a you know a male in a position of power and. That, that's a whole nother conversation that we don't have to get into, but just because it's anonymous does not mean it's not credible. And right. it really makes me angry when people mm-hmm. are like, oh, if it was really real or whatever, she would have came forward and had her name. Blah, blah, oh, blah, and blah, that blah. stuff makes me nuts. Or she would have filed a police report. Do you right. know why like, people don't do that? Because people drag them through the mud and people yeah. don't believe them. I mean, just look the way people have reacted to the Deshaun Watson thing. Right, like just exactly. because the guy knows how to throw a football, people are willing to just be like, you, you know, they'll defend him to the end of the earth because he's famous and good at something that they right. like. Right, and people are defending FP Santangelo because of the nostalgia, or he's a broadcaster for their team, and I'm like, bro, come on, you know, just because we... If he's not guilty of anything, then, you know, it sucks that he got dragged through this, but if he but... is, then you know, you're going to look very this will dumb. work itself out. Right. right. But this will, that, that's, and I also am sensitive to the other side of it. Like people do have a right to have an investigation. They do oh, yeah, have a absolutely. right to defend themselves. And that's great. And I'm glad that that's happening in this case. And I'm willing to withhold judgment on what happened until an investigation occurs, but I'm you're absolutely to, but... right in your point <laughs> that, well, I know. And, and, you know, what the, whether or not these accusations are true is something I always try in these situations unless, you know, there's some overwhelming obvious evidence to just withhold judgment until the investigation is complete because we don't know what's what the investigation is going to find. 
And if the investigation finds that he's innocent, then I'll recalibrate my expectations Mm -hmm. or my, I guess not expectations, my opinion of the situation. But this seemed, if you read in detail, the, the accusations, it, it, um, we don't need to get into the the nuts and bolts of that. That stuff is out there. People want to read about it, but I do think it's important to your point is extremely good one, which is just because somebody doesn't want to be publicly dragged through the mud doesn't lessen the doesn't lessen the accusation, get the credibility of the accusation. And Mm -hmm. on the other hand, just because somebody's accused of something doesn't necessarily mean that it happened. So I think all of us need to just like put down the pitchforks and let the investigation do its thing for either side, like put down your pitchforks for FP, put down your pitchforks for the accuser and let the investigation happen. Yeah. But yeah, to, to get to back to, to the point, I do think he's done. I don't think the Nats, it, it's just, it's too far down the line now, in my opinion, for yeah. now that they've revoked his it, access it, twice. And the right. thing with it, him not being turned away from the parking garage, like I don't, the, the level of acrimony there now is probably right. Not and it's not made. like if he, if this all turns out and he's innocent, it's not like the Nats can just say, you know, Oh, we regret what we did. No, they did the right thing under the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So it's like, I, I think if he is innocent, you know, best of luck to him. But I think the best decision for both parties is to just move on. And FP yeah. find a job somewhere else and, and the Nats find new broadcast booth, which I wouldn't be opposed to. And, you know, segueing into the next point we we're going to make, I, I, I do like Justin Maxwell. Is he a natural fit? No, but I think he's done a great job, especially under their circumstances and kind of just being thrown into broadcasting. He's definitely, you know, getting his feet under him as, as the season progresses. And I an improvement. For yeah. Sure. At, at, at this point, I would like him to just finish out the season. I don't know what the, the necessarily the plan is if because he hasn't been uh, with Bob every single game, but I would like him to be the primary, you know, right-hand guy to Bob for the rest of the season. Just, just let, let's see what we have. Like, let's just call him our interim broadcast guy and, and see what he, what he's got. If this is something he's interested in. Yeah. So my opinion on Maxwell at first, it was really tough. Like he was quiet and it was like, mm-hmm. there was not a lot of energy there. It was really tough. He has improved markedly. Absolutely. Since he started, I will say, and I, I almost feel bad saying it because he seems like an awesome guy. I like him. He seems to, you know, get along well with Bob. I, don't feel like he's a great fit for a color guy. There's no. just, you know, like your color guy is supposed to be like animated and entertaining. And, you know, I don't know. He just, yeah, we've the, talked lots of times about how the Nats broadcast has been ranked at the very bottom. Mm-hmm. I, why, why wouldn't you take this opportunity? Maybe not this year. I think that for the sake of continuity, if nothing else, keeping him in the booth with Bob for the rest of the year would be totally fine with me. But I would like to see them go out and get a professional color commentator to take over like get somebody who's going to bring some energy to the broadcast and and you know maxwell's been absolutely funny obviously knows his stuff you know he's it's not like he's bad at it i am i think he'd be a better play-by-play guy than he is as a color guy yeah uh and the, the thing maxwell does best which i've really enjoyed is just the his ability to relate to the players and kind of provide insight from a player's perspective because he's played more recently than obviously fp has so, mm-hmm. you know, he still knows some of the guys in the league. Like just, I think it was today or yesterday, he was talking about my guy, Whit Merrifield, and, and how they were both on the Royals at the same time. So he was p- able to provide insight, and he can kind of get into the, the player's mind. But, yeah, I agree. Just the way he does it, it's not animated. It's not – he just needs it's a little – It's not entertaining, if that's the thing. Like, I, there, there needs it, to be some entertainment cool, factor. Yeah, it's cool to know, but it's not like he, – he doesn't, you know – 
encapture you or whatever the word I'm trying to find is like, it's not captivating is I think what I'm trying to say. It's for, for us baseball diehards and like our nerd, the nerds we are (laughs) that, that stuff is great. But to the casual fan, we, what you're trying to draw in, it's like, yeah, he's kind of boring. And if you're not, it's kind of a snooze fest between Bob and and yeah. And if you're not coming at it from a player's perspective, it's like, what is this guy talking about? Like, I don't really care about his playing career when he's not really even talking about his playing career. He's just trying to get you to relate to the players and how their mindset is, you know, playing the game and whatnot. None of this is meant as as a slight to Justin Maxwell. He's done a great job for being thrown into it. I guess I just don't understand a, why they didn't go out and get a broadcaster to begin with. If they had this, position you know if you know okay we're going to need somebody for the rest of the year but even if you keep him there for the rest of the year i think this opportunity has presented itself to improve your broadcast which has been very you know ranked at the very bottom for years so go out and get somebody there's only 30 color commentary jobs in in major league baseball so Mm. there's got to be somebody out there who would kill to have that job you know what i mean who's a professional broadcaster who does color who's been in a league who can who can be somebody who elevates your broadcast. I think not it's, just not just is you know this is serviceable, but somebody really elevates it. I think it's very rare to have a broadcast team, um, you know, for an extended period of time, certainly, but also one that you know is con- consistently performing at a high level. Um, because you, you just shout out Charlie it, Dave. Right. It, it's so rare to have that chemistry. And yeah, Charlie and Dave are a perfect example. They've been here since, you know, Jump Street. So they're phenomenal. They're they're phenomenal and they have great chemistry. But, you know, even Bob and FP didn't really have much chemistry like they had their moments. Don't get me wrong, but they, they weren't like a natural fit. And that's why you see those the two the, those guys with who are natural fits. They get the primetime jobs. And I, I think of football, you know, obviously Joe Buck and, and, and uh, Aikman and, and, you know, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth and, you know, the legendary duos, they're so in demand because of just how great they are and the chemistry and they can really captivate you. And it's very rare to find that. That's why you see so much turnover in these, you know, broadcast jobs. And, and it's very rare to have, you know, people in place for as long as, Bob and, and FP have been and Bob in particular, he he's done this for, for a long, long time and he, he's done a great job at it, but I, I think anyone is susceptible to become, you know, stale in, in, in their own job. So yeah. a change isn't really an indictment on, you know, their skills or whatever. It's just, you know, something to bring new life in. And I think Justin Maxwell has actually helped Bob in this case because Bob knows Justin Maxwell isn't a professional. So Bob's in a sense, trying harder. I still don't like him as, you know, the main guy and that's nothing against Bob as a person, but he dropped it. I think he does a great job on the play-by-play. Like yeah, he does a great job on play-by-play, but again, he's not very captivating. He dropped a great pun yesterday, which I appreciated. Oh, but- the Aussie Albies. Oh, it was yeah. so good. You know how much I love puns. Yeah. So, you know, that was great. But as a whole, I think it's time for the Nats to, to, you know, move on with their broadcast. We, we, we talked about this even before all the FB stuff came up. So it's like, now that this is coming up, this is almost like a built-in excuse to do so and just Mm -hmm. say, Hey, we already have to find one. We're just going to kind of move on with our search and just see if we can't find. I don't see that happening. I don't think Bob's going. Probably not. Probably not. Especially not because when you lose one half of the broadcast team, like for baseball, because it's so 
every day you really get to where the, the, I mean, the Orioles the, just the cleaned court. house with their broadcast coming in. Yeah, I know, but and they had uh, a Gary really... Thorn forever and Jim Palmer, Jim Palmer, right? Yep. Yeah. So they had so I, I don't see them parting ways with Bob, but I, I think that going out and doing a really thorough search and getting a really excellent kick-ass color guy would be a huge, and that would be a huge update to their broadcast that would benefit them a lot because, like you said, the, the broadcast has been maybe stale is, is the right word. Just, you know, with Bob and FP for a while, it's been, it, like I said, it, it always ranks at the bottom. And I think a lot of that is just because it, there wasn't any freshness to it. And maybe, you know, having a new color guy would would accomplish that. Yeah, it's the same thing. You know, um, Sunday Night Based on ESPN went years and years and years without, you know, without um, consistency in the broadcast booth because it takes a, a while to find a, a good broadcast duo. And they found A-Rod, who was good for a season, and then he just became so A-Rod that now he's unbearable to listen to. But if you listen to not every team, but certain teams, it's like, damn, we're really missing out on what we could be getting from a broadcast team. Like Don Arcello comes to mind. Obviously, mm-hmm. Ben Scully for years. Um, who's the other one? Yeah, those guys aren't uh, easy to find, obviously. Who, who's? Oh, God. Okay. Um, the Braves announcer. Who's his dad? Oh, that's um, going to bother me. It's a legendary guy. Why can't I think of his, his name? Someone's screaming at their phone right now telling me the answer. Yeah. I can't I can't think of it. Who are, uh, who's... Matt Vaskersian with the Angels is another one. I still can't believe he's the, the main Angels guy. That's, like, so baffling to me. Um, okay, hold on. It's <laughs> bad radio. It's bad this radio. Is, this is bad. This is not scintillating. <laughs> Is it, let's see. Oh, Chip Carey, Carey. So it's like, who's his dad? I don't know. Oh, Harry Carey, right? Am I wrong? I don't listen to the Braves broadcast. I have no file right, on this well, at all. Anyways, you, if you listen to other games or watch other games, you can see how much you're missing on the Nats broadcast. The Nats broadcast is pretty stale and boring. All right. Well, I think the consensus is FP's probably gone for good. Um, Maxwell, I think, has filled in admirably as and is improving, but I would like to see a professional color guy in his place at the start of next season. Yep, and I'm fine with that. All right, so one more thing we're going to talk about, which is the preview for the next series. Yep, so the Nats have the Phillies, but just looking at the rest of the NLEs, and I know Ryan ends the show with this pretty much every time, how the Nats really just need to do something. I'm pretty content with a split with the Braves. I definitely expected to lose the series, if I'm being honest. So a split is fine. Um, the problem is they're just not making a dent in the division overall. They're still 3-7 and seven in their last 10. So, again, Yikes. you know, the Mets and the Braves are 6-4 and four in the last 10, which is fine, but isn't great. So the Nets really should be making moves, and they're not. But this weekend, as we've said over and over again, is a perfect time to make a move. The Mets have the Padres, who are obviously very good. The Braves mm-hmm. have the Dodgers, who, again, okay. are obviously very good. The Phil- We're playing the Phillies, so if we sweep the Phillies, that's three games on the Phillies right there. And, you know, the Marlins have... Narrator, the- they did not sweep the Phillies. <laughs> right. And, I mean, the Marlins <laughs> have the Pirates, but, again, the Marlins, if you can't top the Marlins at the end of the year, you have bigger problems. Yeah, and, if know. we finish below the Marlins, I don't even want to. I don't even want to talk to anyone right. about. But like, like the, what the we three expected, you know, competitors within your division all have very 
tough matchups and one of them being yourself. So you have the opportunity to directly take advantage of that matchup. You don't have to ask for help. So this is really the most important series of the year, in my opinion. I've said that once before, but again, the year goes on. So this is now the most important season. Or the current the most important right, series. Exactly. Didn't Destiny Legardo write to you something about like here we are again at yeah. the, the the basement bowl here? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but as you said, tomorrow, or if you're listening to this today, Friday, we have Scherzer Wheeler, which will be a phenomenal matchup. We'll have to see if the Nats offense can provide anything. Saturday, you have Joe Ross and uh, Howard. I don't know who Howard is. He's a 0 and one with a five five six ERA. So we'll see. Should maybe. be somebody you can score some runs against. Yeah, hopefully you would think so. And then Sunday, they haven't announced it. I feel like it might be Fetty Sunday against Vince Velasquez. We'll have to see. Um, but as Didn't Fetty make a rehab start today? Oh, I thought he made it yesterday. I thought it was Thursday. Today, yeah, I think it was today. Maybe it was yesterday. Okay. That would line him up to make... Would that line him up for Sunday? Let's see if it was Wednesday. Well, I don't know how long Saturday, he went Sunday, today. That would be on short list. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. So, yeah, maybe Fetty. So who would be after Ross? Uh, Wouldn't it be Lester. He went today. So, I mean, maybe Espino if maybe Fetty's Espino. not ready. I feel like they're trying to see if Fetty's ready. I don't know the details of his rehab start today, but when I first saw TBD, I'm like, oh, that's probably going to be Fetty with Strauss gone because that would be Strauss's slot, and naturally Fetty would be the guy to replace Strauss. But if it's not if it's not Fetty, and obviously it's not Strauss, maybe we see Espino, maybe someone like both if they decide to do that. But I think, I think they're lining up for Fetty. That would be, that would make sense. Yeah. I'm just looking it up to see if I can, I know again, a really exciting video here. <laughs> <laughs> see if we can figure it out. So I thought at least, I think I read something yesterday, the day before that said he was going to make a start today. So I don't know if he actually, I knew they wanted him to have a rehab start before. Cause he threw a simulated game. They're like, Oh, we should probably get him a rehab start. But usually rehab starts aren't, well, actually, I take that back because I think he threw 65 pitches in the simulated game, and Davey said they wanted to stretch him out more. So he probably will need regular rest. So I think it's probably going to be Espino, and that's just an educated guess. But point being, you're avoiding Aaron Nola. You're you're still getting Zach Wheeler, but luckily he's matched up against Max Scherzer. So hopefully it's just you know a matter of scoring a run or two, and hopefully you know Scherzer combined with a good bullpen can be enough to overcome a poor offense that we have and then howard whoever he is and velasquez aren't exactly world beaters themselves velasquez has been decent but uh, they're not world beaters so you should be able to take advantage of them again we say that all the time i know this we is make super, we make bad pitchers look like world beaters a lot of the super time. super important series meanwhile like the braves are getting bauer um they're getting uh kershaw and i think no bueller's going tonight so or they're getting Arias. So they're getting, you know, I mean, the Dodgers have a rotation of aces, so a little bit different. But the Braves have, have their work cut out for them. The Mets, as I said, are, have their work cut out for them as well against the Padres. So, okay, so again, you, uh, just, you he, need to make the most of it. I feel like right, I'm just talking in circles. Talking in circles. So um, Betty made a rehab start for high A Wilmington Blue Rocks tonight. So he is not available yeah. to pitch on All Friday. right, so it's going to be a Spino barring, you know, someone going on short rest. Yeah, which I don't know why they would do when they have a Spino. Because Lester pitched yesterday, so 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that's <gasps> three days rest. Uh, I just am looking further into this. Looks like Eric Betty is... The game was postponed due to rain. So he did not make that start tonight. So we'll see. Maybe they have him pitch a short simulated 100%. game or something. It's 100% going to be Fetty then. Yeah, he did not. Because at the time Davey made those comments, Strauss wasn't hurt yet. So you're, you heard it here first. Eric Fetty is starting on Sunday. All right. Well, I guess we shall see. Okay. Anything else? Nope. This is where you say no and then say something anyway. Well, I'm going to say something anyway, and I, <laughs> I just want Ryan back. I know, Ryan. We'll have him back for when we record on Monday. I miss him. <laughs> I'm sure he'll listen to this and be pleased that you're missing him so much. <laughs> he never listens to these. No. Do you listen to the episodes after you record? Yeah. Well, not like I listen to the ones I, I listen to the ones I'm not on. Like if oh, I miss I one, and I, I listen to you guys, but I I don't listen to the ones if I if I recorded them. I'm like I already heard it. I was there. I like listening to the ones where we have interviews too, just because if I'm doing an interview, I don't, I'm so focused on what I'm going to ask next or when I'm allowed to talk that I don't always like fully appreciate what's being said. So yeah. I'll, I'll go back and listen to interviews and, and catch more than I did while I was in the interview itself. I always enjoy the interviews; they're my favorite. Yeah. All right, then I guess we are done here. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We appreciate it. Oh, uh, I do sure. have a plug, though. Okay. Uh, well, just a little, little tease, a little taste. We have uh, kind of a different interview coming to you the next episode, actually. It's going to be some, for you, baseball diehards. You're gonna really going to like this, so you definitely don't want to miss it. All that, right. that, that's my tease. All right, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Bring it, reeling them in for the mm, next one. Exactly. All right. So make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. So you're always notified when we post new episodes and make sure you check us out on Twitter at half street, high heat and at the website at half street, high heat.com. And we will catch up in a few days. Let's go Nats. Go Nats. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats We've got a game to play, we're gonna win today Let's go Let's go.
how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.